Welcome to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone, the podcast where we highlight nonprofit leaders in the trenches who share the strategies and tactics they use to grow their organizations and make a difference each day. As we like to say, if you want to be discouraged by a general sense of decay, read the news. But if you want to be inspired by concrete stories of growth, talk to a nonprofit. Here's to the modern day superheroes, the nonprofit leaders. Let's dive in. Everyone, I am here with Dana Green. She's the Chief Advancement Officer at Harsh Inc. Dana, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. I am really excited for our conversation, and we have a lot of fun topics teed up. Um, But as is our tradition here, I would love to jump straight into the thick of things, and I'd be fascinated to hear a story from you about... um, maybe a suspenseful or a high stakes or a climactic moment in your career and sort of hear the story of how it all went uh, down. The last 15 or so years as a fundraiser and also a high-end events uh, producer. And I think probably one of um, of the most nerve-wracking events was the relaunch of the Charles W. Morgan at Mystic Seaport. Um, It was years in the making uh, the day of the relaunch, we expected 10,000 people. We had 1,200 quote-unquote VIPs coming. We had three different events um, for them lined up that day, coordinating, you know, everybody. And it, obviously it was outside. And we started the morning with a, like a, a microburst storm. And then I had to think, how am I going to get all of my donors to this boat shed of the museum? And, and I thought, goodness. Some of these people have donated, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars to make this happen. And we have rain <laughs> and mud. Um, so that was really um, like dramatic. And we're holding people. I have all of the Everything they want to go well and smoothly all of a sudden is starting to unravel. Um, and I just remember thinking, I don't want any of these donors to be upset because of, of this rain and this delay. Um, and then. Luckily, the sky cleared, the rain disappeared. Um, we got everybody to their places on time. And then um, two of our guest speakers were delayed. <laughs> so now there's, um, so you have that going on. And of course, you're just um, making everything personable. And I think at that moment, you realize when you have these connections with your donors and you're so hands-on and it's years of um, relationship building, when you do have an event and there is um, um, they're not going to um, get upset because they know that everything's in good hands, that what you're doing, what the rest of the team is doing is, is to make sure everything is, is running well. So it was a very valuable lesson for me um, that when you have people and you've been working with them for so long and you say, you know, you make your apologies that they're just saying, yep, we understand and we trust you. Um, that to me was the biggest thing. You know, when you have so many people and you're being everybody around, you need everybody to trust you when something doesn't go right, that you're going to make it right. And I think for me, that was a big moment that day. Such a cool story. I can only imagine the stress levels that must have been happening underneath the surface, if not above the surface. Um, And so funny that, you know, the weather was threatening and then the weather was fine and then the guest speakers and so forth. It's always something it feels like. But I love that point that it is 
a lot of it is the process that matters and the relationships that have been built up to that point. And even if it does rain or the event isn't perfect, it's sort of people still understand the heart behind it. Um, and uh, moving on, I would love to get a sense um, of you and your background and sort of I the trajectory <laughs> that has brought you to where you Partly are because it's here so today. unexpected. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people just kind of fall into development. Um, but nowadays, I think, you know, most people can be more conscious of it. But, you know, 15 years ago, I wasn't even working in development. I was working in uh, an education department at the USS Constitution Museum. I was doing daily tours, um, speaking. And one particular day, I was giving a talk on the Barbary Wars. And our major gifts officer at the time happened to stop with a gentleman didn't recognize at the time. Um, And they listened to my 10-minute speech. And later on that afternoon, I was up to her office and and, um, she's like, I'd just like you to know that you got a really great compliment day from our founder. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And she's like, Kay Loring Jr. at one point was the founder. And then he also acted as president and chairman for the U.S.'s Constitution Museum. He said, she's really intelligent and great people. Why is she working, you know, with the public? She would be much better suited with your donors. And I didn't know at the time that the museum was about to um, create a new position. Um, They're going to create a development officer position. And they asked me if I'd be interested in doing fundraising and planning special events. At that point, the only event I had ever planned was my own wedding. And I said, sure, I can do this. Um, I love talking to people and I'm going to be talking to people on a one-on-one basis about U.S. naval history, um, the uh, War of 1812, um, and then American history. So I was excited um, at that chance. And it was all because one person saw something in me that made a difference. And that is a lesson that I've kept with me all of these years, especially when I have my own team and I work with people and I see their things and I try to build them up on that. So I'm really, really fortunate um, that the past founder and president of um, the U.S.'s Constitution Museum saw something um, and made sure that the museum pursued that interest. What a phenomenal origin story. It's almost like a, a superhero that um, you're called out among the crowd and then given this expanded responsibility of um, working in the development field. And it's fascinating to see how that empowerment or the leadership or the encouragement that you experience now, it sounds like you have an opportunity to pass that on and, and give that to your team um, as well. And then fast forwarding sort of today and your work with Harthink, I'd love to hear um, a story about your organization today and how the nonprofit is making a difference, maybe through the eyes of Hearth an individual is or a family my first or actually nonprofit um, whatever you that might want to share. It's not museum-based. It's a, a direct human services. And our mission is to end elder homelessness in Boston. Um, and we do it through two programs, through our housing, which we operate just under 200 units of permanent, supportive, uh, affordable housing. Um, And then also through our outreach program, which places older adults into um, housing within the greater Boston area, again, which is all affordable. Um, And I think I have ah, one of the great parts of my job is obviously fundraising, but fundraising for a cause. And when you've experienced homelessness and especially you're an older adult and you've had health issues and you've been living in a shelter, you know, on and off for maybe months or even years, you don't have a lot of a bag maybe, or a couple of um, suitcases. Um, but then you get placed into housing and all of a sudden, you know, you feel 
hope and grief that you have now a place to call home and you'll have a bed. But then the overwhelming fact is you also do not have the funds to make your house feel like home. And we now do what we call like a housewarming and we make sure that when we place an older adult into their new apartment, that they, it comes furnished with um, their soft and hard goods. So they'll have a bed, uh, a chair, all of the kitchen utensils and appliances, bathrooms, um, laundry, whatever they need in order to actually get in place and then start working on themselves again. And to be able to do that day after day um, is really just a phenomenal experience. And, you know, our organization is serving just about 600 elders a year. In the last 27 years, we've placed around 500 older adults into permanent housing throughout the greater Boston area. Um, so it's a great feeling to know that um, we make a difference every day in the lives of one person at a time and one house at a time. Um, and I get to be a small part of that. I get to make sure that, you know, the other programs are running efficiently and that they do have the means to purchase a brand new bed um, and then a comforter and pillows and blankets, uh, bath towel, and, you know, everything they, they can go home and, and drink coffee and entertain their friends. Absolutely. That is such a cool um, sort of testimony to the work that you guys do. And um, I love, um, I even love some of the individual language, like um, referring to folks as elders and so forth. It's, it's so clear how you um, seek to help individuals and also physically, but also sort of um, um, treating them with respect um, and sort of, um, and all of those you know, softer components as well. So thank you um, for the work you guys do. Um, I would love to jump into some of the tactics that maybe are helpful or surprisingly effective um, in your fundraising work. Are there little tips or tricks that you could share with I folks really that they might be able to apply that, to their own um, contexts? People need a connection. So if you meet someone one-on-one, -on -one, you need to make a personal connection. And that means listening to them. Um, everybody has their own story. They want to be heard and they want to know that you're listening to them, especially when they're about to make a donation to you. And it doesn't matter if it's a $5 donation or half a million dollar donation. Um, they want to be heard. Uh, so for me, listening has been key. To um, and that also means listening in that sense of when you direct pieces. Um, you can tell if something hits the mark by the response you get back. Um, and if the piece that you send out isn't making connection, again, that's just another way of listening because you're not getting those donations in the way that you thought you were going to, to get. Um, and I like to ensure that everyone knows that their, their funds, what we're using are going directly to the programs that we're serving, especially here. Um, so every fundraising piece that we do, um, has a direct connection to the, um, older adults that we serve. So there's always going to be a little bit of a story. Um, so they know what's happening. Um, and that way it makes it more tangible. It gives it a face and a voice. Um, and then that way, um, they feel more connected to us. Absolutely. Um, where you guys are today, where do most new donors come from? Are they, are they relatives of people that have been helped by you? Are they folks that have learned about you through social media? What does that right acquisition now, new donors funnel usually look from like? Current donors. Um, they're being like referred to us. Um, we're working really hard with our board to do more peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. Um, 
part of that is because we have a goal of like how many donors we want a year in order to achieve those goals. And we know we need to get new donors. Um, so we're working with our inner circle first um, because those are best advocates. Um, and when we work with our board and staff and say, hey, help the word, that gives us a, a, a bit of credibility that we wouldn't be able to have with just somebody on the street um, saying, hey, you know, you should donate to Hearth. We were ending elder homelessness. You know, for some people, they're like, well, we're not, I'm not helping because they're older adults and they're, that's their choice, right? So we, there's stigmas and judgments. And here we have a group of people who understand that our population and know, and they're, they're here to help. And so their friends and family, they get it. They hear the stories and they say, you know what, this is really a worthwhile organization. So that's where a lot of our new donors are coming through. Um, occasionally we'll get some through social media, you know, the holidays, um, are always really good. Um, and then, um, public awareness, you know, we've been trying to get out there more doing it that way. Um, but keeping it close to family right now is a really good way of, for us to, um, build our, our donor base. Wonderful. Um, so now it's time to get a little bit contentious. This is one of my favorite parts of the discussion. We've chosen a topic and then you and I will have a friendly mock debate about it. So the topic that we've selected is compensation for fundraisers. And the question is, should compensation include performance-related bonuses? Do you have, would you like to take the pro that yes, it con. should in some cases, or the con <laughs> that no, it should not in general? I love it. Okay, perfect. Why don't you then I start us off and make an opening statement on the con deal? Anyone in development field is being paid a bonus. It seems that it does not come directly um, from an area that would be transparent. Um, that we would have to make that known from the very beginning. I feel like, especially on like a large campaign, to our donors that you know some of these funds are actually going to be redirected um, into a compensation package. Um, for the, an individual. And I think it's really interesting because it, it, there are some people who don't like that, right? They don't like sales and they don't like commissions. And this is exactly what it would feel like, you know, whereas for fundraisers, we're supposed to be um, doing that from the heart and raising funds and making sure it's all going back to the organization. And if you put a 10, 15, 20, you know, percent bonus on top, it really save us in fundraising goals um, making it ambitious, and how does that really separate us for for-profit corporations um, in some ways? I love it. Okay, I'll take a stab at counter-argument here. So my argument would be, if you look at other channels, let's say you have Facebook ads or Google ads, which are running and attempting to get donations, and let's say that for every $5 you spend on the ads, you're able to bring in $50 in donations, which is, you know, optimistic, but let's say that's the case. Wouldn't you then take that money and say, well, this is great. Let's run, let's run more of those ads. Let's invest more resources because we know it will magnify our impact. Um, and isn't there a similar dynamic at play with fundraisers where if someone is enormously effective, they're being paid X and they're raising many, many times that. Um, isn't the organization um, hurting itself and hurting its impact if um, other folks are probably going to hear about that very successful fundraiser, maybe offer them jobs at other nonprofits? Maybe those jobs will pay more. And now 
that really effective fundraising individual um, is gone um, just sort of because that's sometimes how the <laughs> market say, well, works. Then, what would you say? I understand that mentality, right? Where you would want to um, reward that individual for doing such a great job. But why then only about the team? Um, what about the rest of your staff? How are you compensating them for going above and beyond hitting their targets and goals? Um, they're not have, they don't have the same type of bonus feature. Um, so, and a lot of times, you know, when, you, when we look at bonus features within the nonprofits, you just reserve for CEO, CFO, um, COO, and then the development team and everybody else kind of left. So it's not a real, it's not fair, um, to reward a group for reaching their goal when it takes everybody to make sure that they're doing that. Um, so here, I think it just levels that playing ground that. You, everybody gets rewarded differently and it doesn't always necessarily need to be compensation. I think organizations can keep and retain really good employees um, with great benefit packages, um, recognition, and being acknowledged by their own board, um, but it doesn't always have to be through compensation. Absolutely. That was fun. That was great. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed that discussion. I think you made great points. And I would actually agree with what you said at the end there that I do think, I think it would be interesting to think about places for bonuses for non-development folks as well. If there's, if there's a really tangible outcome that we're trying to drive and, you know, maybe it's counseling and, um, and one of the counselors um, has just phenomenal success rates for the individuals they're working at, I think it is appropriate to pay them bonuses and that, that it doesn't have to just be development. Although I hadn't thought about that at all. So that's a great um, point that you brought up. That was fun. Thanks for suggesting that topic. Cool. Um, So let's continue on. We have some other questions here. Um, The first of which is, if you could describe yourself in one word, what would you say? (laughs) I love it. Um, Tell us more about that. I get to wake up every day with purpose. I know exactly what I am doing. I know why I'm doing it. I know all of these hard hours and frustration sometimes um, is for the benefit of the greater good. Um, And that was the choice that I got to make when I left the museum world and came into um, human services for the, you know, about three years ago. Um, And I'm, I just know, and happiness is, is hard. (laughs) It's hard to keep. um, But I do it every day. I'm very grateful. I have an amazing support network. I have a beautiful family um, that allow me to work um, and bring home work. Um, and I get to bring them into work. Um, so that is one big reason why I am happy. What a phenomenal answer. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that, but it's such a good and it's just such a nice grounding um, perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Um, if looking out towards the broader universe or the broader nonprofit world, is there a shift that you're seeing taking place in because the sector as a whole that you think is particularly exciting? Social media awareness. It's so easy to pick up the phone and just use it to donate either through, you know, your website or a third party, um, even something like Venmo. Um, if they ever get around to, you know, letting nonprofits accept money that way, um, is really interesting to me. 
Um, and, and rapid fire, right? I think in the last couple of years, especially with politics, you know, <laughs> how we have seen people just all of a sudden rally around a cause. And then the next thing you know, within a few days, a few million dollars can be raised. And I think the m- most exciting part of that, it is all grassroots. It's people who have never heard of it, of an organization sometimes. Um, and they're donating 10, 15, 20 dollars. And to see the impact that it is making is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I don't think any of us could imagine the power of Facebook and how that would be a fundraising device um, or even you know, the ease of uh, using PayPal or um, when you put the notion, you know, highlights it and says, hey, you know, this is the cause I'm supporting. You click the link and there you go. <laughs> that to me is absolutely fascinating and everybody is on it. And I think it's great. I think it's going to make fundraising maybe a little bit tougher but at least it's it's fast and it's quick and it's impactful on that day certainly oh, absolutely are there people we've you've already heard or we've already heard from you about um, one person who's made a difference in your life and your career are there other folks at maybe different nonprofit organizations and similar or related roles to yours that have been really helpful to you or inspiring <laughs> to you that you kind of want to give a, a shout out one. to um, I've worked with really f- fantastic individuals and I was thinking about what was a common denominator between all of them and it was compassion um, they are all extremely kind and compassionate people and they're leaders um, and they're great mentors. So I was thinking of Trudy Avery, who works at um, Karen Treatment Centers. Um, you know, we were colleagues, you know, 12 years ago and we've still kind of kept in touch over the years. But just to watch her trajectory um, and how it changed also because of life and purpose um, and now, you know, she uses that purpose to really generate more funds for the organization. Um, and then I was thinking of Matthew Stackpole. He's one of those individuals that I met um, when I worked at the U.S. Constitution Museum. And, and at that point, he, he was an overseer there. I was the uh, development officer. And then he went to Mystic Seaport. And then a few years later, I started working at Mystic Seaport. And so from we went from this... Um, one relationship to, to now coworkers. And I think one of his great strengths, again, is this purpose, but he's a historian. He's a national storyteller. Um, and he was just phenomenal to watch. When you got to sit in a room with him, with potential donors, and listen to him craft a story and get them engaged and have them understand and realize what their funds are going to do um, was just brilliant. Was really brilliant, um, and it and it was fun, and it was hmm. never a dull moment. Um, and he was great to be able just to pop into his office and say, "Hey, I have a question. <laughs> you want to uh, brainstorm for a few minutes and help me out here?" And um, so that was great. Um, and then another one. Um, it, it was a former boss of mine, um, Nat Arata. He's now working on the Plymouth 400, and he's great with leadership. And how do you command a room of your peers, your staff, donors, uh, and get everybody motivated? And I think as a fundraiser, you know, that's one of our jobs. And I really loved watching each of them work um, a room. Um, you know, our job is to get people excited, get people to be passionate, but they need to see our passion and they need to see our creativity. Um, and these three really helped 
helped me learn how to do that well. I love it. That's so fun. Um, I just love in the nonprofit world how much um, collaboration there is and how people are sort of so willing to help each other out and give each other a hand up because we all are at the end of the day in the various things that we're doing, pursuing the same, you know, broad mission of making the world a better place. Um, are there things, Dana, that as you look back, you appreciate well, now much more than you did maybe 10 I years ago? fundraising was the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> Um, you could, especially on, on larger gifts. Um, I didn't, it was, I really liked meeting people. And then 2000, it happened. And I, that's when I really started to realize like, wow, this is not going to be easy. And, you know, those, those years after, um, weren't. So what I have learned in the last 10 years is not to take a day for granted. Um, Donors are very particular now, more than they were, I think. Um, people are very laser focused on the organizations that they're giving to, especially on the higher end. At this point, mm. it is not quantity, it is quality, right? So whereas before they may have been giving to 10 or 15 different organizations, they've streamlined it down to five. And, you know, we're seeing this not just in individual donors, but also uh, in grants, you know, they're cutting back on how many grants they're issuing because they want to make a larger gift. And that wasn't, the case, you know, 10 years ago, I feel like, where um, there wasn't that thought of, oh, I'm just going to give a thousand here, five here, 10 here, 20 here. And now like, oh, I could give $50,000 to one organization. And that's really impactful rather than five smaller gifts. So that was, that, yeah, that's a new one. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, no, that is that is absolutely fascinating to think about. Um, Dana, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Um, I've learned a lot. I loved I loved the arguments back and forth. That was very fun. Are there ways that people can find yeah. you online um, or if they want to learn more about website, your organization? Where should they look? Or www.hearth-home.org. And um, I'm on LinkedIn as Dana Green um, under Hearth. Um, I was very happy to participate today. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Growth Show presented by Nonprofit Megaphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast network. We appreciate your support. Until next time. <laughs>